0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number five of the Elevate podcast, the podcast that's out to document and elevate the human experience through conscious conversation. I'm your host, Hayden Humphrey, and today I'm incredibly excited to share with you my conversation with my good friend, Bushra Amiwala. Bushra is a media icon, student, dynamic speaker, and the youngest Muslim elected official in the United States. At the age of 19, she announced her candidacy for the Cook County Board of Commissioners with the goal to serve as a voice for her underrepresented generation and other marginalized communities and was successfully elected. She's won numerous awards for her leadership and civic participation, including Glamour Magazine's College Woman of the Year, Seventeen Magazine's Voice of the Year, and internationally as Cosmo Girl's Changemaker of the Year. She also travels the country to speak on topics like diversity and inclusion, empowering youth, and women in politics. All this before graduating college. In this episode, Bushra and I talk about burnout, what it means to be an entrepreneur, and what you should know before running for office. As always, thanks so much for choosing to spend your time with us. It truly means a lot that you're here, and I can't wait to share this episode with you. welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very, very, very excited I'm that right. you're here.
1: I'm honored to be here.
0: I've been looking forward to this for quite a while.
1: Since it got on the calendar. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, and I was thinking about it before we started recording about how we met and it was the right foundation. Yeah. The it, right can, foundation. Okay. okay. It's funny. Cause it's one of those things where like when I meet people and then they just become like an important part of my life. I forget how we met. I don't know uh if I don't know if that's like opposite of how it usually works for people. But like I'm like, I'm like, where did like where did I where did I meet this person again? It's just because it's like it's just you and Mm -hmm. you know we are who we are. We have the relationship that we have. And then I was like, oh yeah, this is the right foundation.
1: Well I vividly remember how we met because I was a sales intern at the Right Foundation and I saw your name come in as someone who's interested for one of our our events and I remember I was practicing my sales calls right and um I was like Hayden Humphrey I don't know why that sounds like such a modern name I feel like he's young like let me take this one yeah. right I felt instantly soothed just by reading the name and then later yeah. learning that you have your own coaching business yeah. and now podcasts like it's all so in line with what everything that I know about nice. you so I didn't know Thought that I'd share yeah cool. yeah we yeah, never yeah. talked Thanks about it <laughs> that.
0: awesome well I'm so glad you're here now um and I gave folks a little bit of an intro as to who you are and what you're up to in the intro um to this show but I'd love to hear from you directly like what are you up to
1: oh yeah so My name is Bushra. I am a senior at DePaul University, and I'm majoring in management information systems with a double minor in community service studies and public policy studies. And I recently quit my job, and I'm now starting the Amiwala Foundation. Um, and I'm the youngest Muslim elected official in the United States. That's so rad. The title, yes.
0: Such a casual bio. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. That's so cool. Um, nice. Well, so there's a couple pieces that I definitely want to make sure we cover uh, in the time that we have. Um, but the thing that got me curious when I was thinking about like this conversation and what I wanted to ask you was, I understand that civic action is a really important piece of who you are mm-hmm. and the impact that you want to create. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I get curious about is like, where did that start for you?
1: Hmm. That's such a good question. Um, so actually I always thought volunteerism was like the extent of the good that I could do in the world. I, I didn't come up i grew up with a very humble background so we didn't have enough money to just give and i always knew money equal to power but i didn't have that and i had a lot of time on my hands so i volunteered and donated my time um, but it wasn't until my senior year of high school high school was such a pivotal moment for me and i think that's why my career started so early on is because it was rooted in that i took an ap government and politics course and in that class for the first time talked about political and civic issues with my friends and Um, the awkward conversations of like oh are you a democrat or a republican and these are the things I just never had the means and platform to discuss with my friends before and I found that it interested me and I was like good at it and I remembered it and um, I could use it to do good and that's I think where it all came from
0: nice that's cool and like how have you seen your relationship to civic action and volunteerism like shift Mm -hmm. since Mm -hmm. that period of time yeah
1: I think it's become a lot more authentic. I think before I thought that I had to act a certain way to build credibility for myself. And otherwise, I think I felt so insecure in the work that I was doing that I thought people would not think I'm qualified enough to, unless I'm speaking with like these set of credentials. And I also then forgot the fact that I was 19 when I first ran for public office. So I think that's how it shifted, going from someone vying for political office, losing the first time, then doing it again the second time to... Being someone who's elected, mm-hmm. I now have a crutch that lets mm-hmm. me be a more genuine force.
0: Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like what I'm hearing in that is there was a certain box that you felt you needed to fit inside of mm-hmm. or like a certain set of things that you needed to do. Mm-hmm. And now the way that you're relating to yourself and the things that you're up to and the impact that you want to have is more authentic.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Good job. <laughs> Love and <would> it. You-
0: <laughs> Um, Well, and so it's interesting, too, right, because, you know, in in my work as a coach, a lot of what I talk with people about is how who you are in one place is basically who you are everywhere. Mm. Um, And so I'm curious, like, what does authenticity look like for you Mm -hmm. in your work Mm -hmm. and in the things that you're doing from a civic action perspective? Mm
1: -hmm. That's a really good question. And I'm glad that you phrased it the way that you do. So when I, for example, serving on the board of education, I openly say, well, as a former student of the school district, I think X, Y, and Z. And I think that I try to not, I don't pretend to be an expert in everything anymore. I say that I'm pulling from my student background. I say that I'm pulling from personal experience because that's all I can speak on behalf right now mm-hmm. and holding it as valuable as like respective facts, I think was that personal transition and growth that I overcame.
0: That's really cool. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, what I've noticed too, in even my own personal development journey, so to speak, is how much richer and more peaceful Mm. life is when Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to perform my way through it yeah
1: (laughs) I agree Mm -hmm. and I I
0: can imagine too that it probably adds a whole different layer of like perceived complexity and um, performance when you're in some sort of political Mm -hmm. realm Mm -hmm. Um, because there's almost this expectation that you know, you kind of speak in a, in a particular mm-hmm. way to appeal to your audience and you show up as a professional. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious too, like, how do you balance, like in the political work mm-hmm. that you're doing, like, how do you balance the authenticity piece of it? And like speaking in a way that is, you know, inspiring mm-hmm. and relates to your audience mm-hmm. and gets things done.
1: Yeah. Know? So it's interesting. And I think it's funny because The way that I speak in political settings, it sounds great. Like it sounds like I'm this really smart person and I've worked to be that. I've studied, I've read a lot of thesauruses and I know a lot of synonyms to every word. So I'm able to change things around when I'm talking to someone. And I find that that's what I do in my personal settings as well. I speak kind of like this across the board consistently with my friends and um, people that I meet on the day to day. So um, I think it's when I became more authentic that line became more faint. There mm. wasn't a line that divided the two. It was just mm. fluid. It was like once the professional version of me, once like the personal version of me. And I understood that I am a multifaceted person as everyone else is. And we all have different sides and layers to ourselves that we choose to share in different contexts and settings.
0: Totally. Um <clears throat> the thing that I that I I love talking about authenticity I mean it's a big piece of why I started this podcast Mm -hmm. and a lot of the work that I do and it's interesting because I think it's a it's a combination of both exploration and almost rediscovery like discovering who we are and exploring who we are through getting involved in different things like in the you know past couple of years as you've gone on this journey of authenticity Mm -hmm. and, and finding out more about yourself like how have you how have you approached that process like Mm -hmm. how have you learned who you are authentically Mm -hmm. how have you created that Mm -hmm. like how have you deepened your relationship your authentic relationship with yourself Mm.
1: um by spending more time with just myself so i didn't realize how uncomfortable i was to be in my own thoughts until i got called out on it it's like hey you always listen to music when you're driving like do you ever just sit in silence or you're always spending time with other people, people that you care about, people that bring and add value to your life. But have you ever spent a moment just sitting on your own, right? Like not checking your phone, not being on social media. And I thought that that's when I realized, yeah, like, am I able to sit down and just have a meal with myself? And that's how I started. Like a very small scale of like 10 minutes, like don't check my phone, focus on just eating and being with myself. Um, and I thought it was the coolest thing. And I got lucky that when I began going through this journey of finding who I am, I worked at this nonprofit, the right foundation that specializes in social and emotional intelligence. And it was through a coach that I had. So I so firmly believe in coaching services. Like I think that you should absolutely invest that time into getting, um, a one-on-one person who really see holds this vision that they craft with you. Um, mm-hmm. and they're willing to carry it for you, which I think you can speak on. Um, mm-hmm. is that similar to what your services look oh, like? Oh,
0: I mean, it's, I'm over here <laughs> nodding because it exactly what it is, right? It's, it's supporting somebody and understanding outside of their current set of beliefs about what is or is not possible. What do you actually want for yourself at the end of the day? And then it's my work as a coach to hold that vision for mm-hmm. you and remind cool. you of it, <laughs> especially as you mm-hmm. start to go towards it. Cause as you start to work towards it, you're inevitably going to hit, uh, come up against things that make you uncomfortable or where you get stuck or whatever it is. And you need somebody to remind you like, Hey, this is why you're doing this. This is what's on mm-hmm. the other side of this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what this is what's possible. Yeah. So I totally hear that yes. in the coaching piece. I'm really glad that you've had that experience too. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to something that you shared on, uh, you know, your, what seemed like discomfort in sitting with yourself. I'm curious, like, like, what do you think the fear was or like, what mm-hmm. do you think was the thing that had you avoiding just mm-hmm. being alone by yourself?
1: I think it was just getting lost in my negative thoughts. I think I held, I held so many, um and it's i think negative might not be the best adverb or adjective to describe this but the thoughts about like me not being good enough or me feeling inadequate or unworthy of certain things. And I think that's why you have to be with yourself because you have to replace all of those thoughts with I am good enough, I am seen and heard and bring value. Um, And I remember the first time that I heard that's what you have to do. I thought it was so cheesy because I was like, it can't be that simple. But now, um, and it's not that simple because you have to work at it every single day. Um, So it's like a a daily journey. So I think I described it well.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yeah, it's a practice. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just consistency over time. You know, it's whatever the stories were that you were, um, you know, dealing with and working to change They're stories that you've uh, likely been Mm -hmm. practicing for the past, you know, however many years, decades, Mm -hmm. two decades, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it might be. Um, And so I totally agree with you. That becomes the thing is like, how are you actively and consistently practicing choosing something else?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what was helpful for me is that while I was undergoing this journey, I also was getting Quite a few nice fun notable press features so it was like the worldly accolades plus honors awards and recognition that really helped make that transition easy for me
0: Mm, That's cool. Yeah. Can you say more about that?
1: So for example, like I became like Glamour Magazine's college woman of the year and being able to say that I have this title, it's like a nice almost badge of honor for me Mm. that makes me realize that I, I do hold value in this world. And I think every, I tell people that, um, there's a thin line between insecurity and humility. And I Mm. think I walked The very thin line all the time, Mm -hmm. um, where people would be like, "Wow, like you're so humble. Good for you. That's a very good trait to emulate." Versus, like, "Oh, like you actually just don't believe in yourself Mm -hmm. and you don't see that potential for yourself. That's actually kind of sad."
0: Uh, Right. mm -hmm. That's cool. It's the thing that I hear in that too is like, it's nice to have those outside forces that are affirming who you want to become and who you want to be. I know I definitely. If it's it'd been interesting recently. In the past couple of months, there have been things that people have said that I've always said. Hey, I want to think that about myself, or mm-hmm. that's almost like that's what I should feel about myself. Mm-hmm. But because it came from somebody else, I actually heard it differently, oh, yeah. and it clicked. And I was like, Oh, you know, even if I don't trust myself, that that thing is possible. This this person sees mm-hmm. that for me, and I trust them. Yeah. So therefore, you know, I'm I'm more confident that it's actually going to happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, and I do that too but I call those people mentors of mine Mm -hmm. and I just have a million mentors Mm. every single person who I admire who I respect and it's like I want you to give me feedback I want Mm. you to give me advice I want you to hold a positive vision for me and to call me out if I'm not on it and that's been a huge game changer because as a young person I find that I often get a lot of unsolicited advice from people Um, but I just started taking it (sighs) And I'm like, you know, like a lot of this stuff has value too. Um, Yes.
0: Hmm. So I, when I typically think about mentors, I think about like work mentors Mm -hmm. or professional mentors, which I'm sure that you have Mm -hmm. many of those. Um, I'd be curious, like, do you have any personal mentors?
1: Yeah. um, I do not categorize my mentors as like work mentors or um, school mentors. They're all just my mentors because I feel like the way that I like, I'm never just a student at DePaul. I'm never just an elected official. I'm never just an intern at a company. I'm never um, just that one thing. And I always strive for all of my mentors, regardless of where they're based out of, to know all those layers of me. Because I feel like I'm doing them a disservice if they don't know X, Y, and Z piece. But then sometimes um, I try not to get caught up in the thick of it. You know, I try to stick to things that actually are reflective of me and aren't just flashy, exciting things to share.
0: Mm, nice. Well, the thing I hear in that is um, just like sharing more of you, more of the time, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, Before we started recording, you were sharing with me and... um Today and you know in an article that you'd sent over uh, around your relationship to burnout mm-hmm. and stress and how um, some things that have happened for you recently have mm-hmm. shifted your relationship to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd just love to hear more yeah. about that and your journey with that. Yeah,
1: again, I love the way that you phrase that. So my relationship with stress is that I used it as a stimulator and I used it to be always moving at one hundred and fifty miles per hour all day with every hour in the day and. Um, I actually didn't take much of a break this past winter break Um, I was just working through most of it I don't celebrate Christmas the new year falls around at the same time as my birthday and I'm used to people being out of town so I kind of just delved myself into work um, and then come the first week of January it was the first week back to class at DePaul and that plus I started I doubled my work hours that week um, as well and describe like had what I describe as like a massive headache slash borderline, I think a panic attack and I just couldn't do it anymore. And for one instance, I was like, I don't think any of this matters right now. Like none of this matters. Like I don't feel okay. And it was like a very like Zen moment type thing. And I went to the hospital and found that hypertension runs in my family. So having like that high blood pressure due to stress was just a thing and reevaluated my priorities and what I want um in my own life and realized I was giving up pieces of myself to complete others and I don't regret doing that at all. It's something I love to do, but I wasn't adding any pieces back to make mm. sure I was whole and complete.
0: Mm, that's awesome. I mean the the realization is awesome. <laughs> yes. Not the experience Agreed. of how it happened is not awesome. <laughs> no, I hear you. Um but yeah it's so interesting. Like I think one of the things you know that I hear in that is like the Zen moment that you had. Mm. And I think it's it's the more that I do this work, the more that I realize that there are really two main ways that you can go about creating change. And in the most part, one is you decide on a vision and you consistently work towards that vision because you choose to and because you see something for yourself in that. And the second is you have some sort of experience that sort of drags you out of reality for a second or whatever your reality mm-hmm. has been. And it gives you an opportunity to actually take a look, at a good hard look and say, is this working for me? Mm. Is this the way that I want to live my life? Are these the priorities that I ha- that I want to have? Is, is this what's actually important? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing that I heard in your share was mm-hmm. like this moment of realizing that, oh, all of these things that I thought were so important mm-hmm. in life and life or death aren't actually as important as how I'm feeling in my own sense of well-being and like the things that I'm up to.
1: Yeah, that sounds almost so philosophical. So how would you describe something like that from your coaching lens or what lens would you use to build on this idea because i love the way you just described it and i haven't Mm -hmm. heard of it before but i'm so cool it's so cool that we're discussing it
0: totally well i think the most important part is like the shift or the change that happens and you know like i said it can come through either through consistent action and choosing to do something different, you know, towards a vision that you want to create, or you can have something where not that you hit rock bottom, mm-hmm. but like you had an, uh, somewhat traumatic experience that really forced you to reassess and look at what am I holding as valuable or important? And is that how I want to continue living? Mm. Because that for most people is unconscious, like that set of priorities or that set of things that we hold to be most important. And then we add a lot of weight to, we, we're not actually realizing what we're doing when we do it um, and so it's it's interesting you know given our relationship because i see a lot of you and me and me and you and i've done the exact same thing is had this idea that this is how life is supposed to go and here are the things that i want to focus on because i think it's going to create some sort of result mm-hmm. or end vision for me mm-hmm. but it also comes along with a lot of stress and anxiety and guilt and shame and whatever it might be yeah. so the cool part and the cool part that um you know i'm excited to continue to talk to you in in this journey that you're that you're on is like when you come to the place of like hey here are the results that i want to create and it doesn't have to be complemented or paired with the stress mm-hmm. and the overwhelm and the anxiety and lack of well-being that i had previously um and so that's actually the question that i would have for you is like when you look at this experience and sh- coming up against this thing that had you more fully realize like, this isn't working for me. Like, what did you take from that? Mm-hmm. What are you taking from mm-hmm. that? Like, what do you actually see as the thing to like mm-hmm. shift or, um, realign now?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The realignment for me stems in the word intention. I became a very intentional person with my time specifically and Islam. I'm a practicing Muslim. Islam teaches that before you begin anything, you should look at your intention. If your intention is good, then do good, um, That's it's as simple as that. So for me, it became being intentional with my time, how I spent it. And I realized that I don't have to be doing things all day for 12 hours a day to have a productive day. I can do more meaningful work in eight hours a day or even six hours of my day and also have a more meaningful impact too with that because I wasn't even producing as high quality work when I was just on go, go, go mode. Um, so like I said, taking a step back, making that intent of what I hope to do, what I seek to accomplish, visioning it for myself, right? Mm. Um, It was easier to see it to come into fruition. And something that I mentioned earlier is that it helped me believe in myself too. Because once I had that belief in my heart, I was like, I can do anything I hope to do. And with that, I was like, I'm going to start my nonprofit. Like, why was I putting this off for five or 10 more years down the line when I didn't put off running for office, in the first instance, and I didn't put it off doing it again the second time. So um, that's what becoming that with myself looked like. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, it's like intention. I hear it's the intention in what you want to create from a professional perspective, Mm -hmm. like not waiting to do the things that you want to do. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, also looking at like what impact is that going to have on your personal life and Mm -hmm. your well-being? And like, who do you get to be with your friends and your family and everybody else that you're now going to come into contact with because you're, you are you know more sourced and mm-hmm. you're taking care of your well-being mm-hmm. and the you know the person that you're being on a day-to-day basis is Im- impactful in a way that's not overwhelming or stressed out
1: exactly yeah. you described it super well <laughs>
0: I love that that's really cool mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah thanks for sharing that yeah um course. tell me more about the um Emmy Walla Foundation
1: oh yes um So I've been working on this for a week now, um, but it's officially a thing on paper, so it's real. And our mission is to support, uplift, and inspire young people. And it's super broad in general because the brand kind of is me, and it's my way of streamlining the work that I was doing every day on a day-to-day basis um, in a mission-driven organization. So the day that i sort of had like my crisis right my call for help my phone was buzzing non-stop because it was kind of back to school week and i had a lot of friends and people that i knew in my network saying hey do you know anyone that's like looking for a job in marketing to everything from hey could you edit up my resume and these are all things i'm happy to do i love to invest in people i don't understand stocks well so i invest in people like this um by connecting others to different opportunities and the mission of the AMI wall foundation comes down to this they say it's not what you know, it's who, you know, and it's my way and my board's way of, um, extending our professional networks and saying, well, you all know us. Um, and it's something that I think would have been such a game changer for me if I had access to something like this, Mm. like a literally, it's almost like the one-stop shop for what you need to get to your dreams. You know, Mm.
0: that's really cool. Well, it's also, um, it's like the idea of being able to architect some sort of system or solution Mm -hmm. that solves a problem on a larger scale than just you can Mm. like creating partnerships relationships Mm -hmm. so that you can have a bigger impact and Mm -hmm. serve more people versus you just directly giving everybody Mm -hmm. your time
1: yeah yeah and I'm such a firm believer in everything happens for a reason so I got a call on Christmas Eve Eve from DePaul (laughs) on December 23rd saying hey like you didn't sign up for classes is everything cool and i swear I thought I did. And I, that's one of the movies. And so I was like, none of this matters because, <laughs> um, but I signed up for classes and was late in enrolling and ended up in this entrepreneurship class as my senior caption class. And till this day, like take rigorous notes in every lecture that I hear. And I've been learning about what it takes to be a robust entrepreneur and like just a lot of the science that goes behind it. So I've, this is a question for you and I don't mean to turn your own podcast sure. on you, but I'm curious, um, when did you know that you had entrepreneurial tendencies and what would yeah. you describe those for yourself yeah. to be? Cause I know that we studied some in class, but like I'm yeah. sitting across from one right now. It's so, so funny. It.
0: Thanks for that question. Yeah. It's so funny too, because I still am fighting some resistance that mm-hmm. I have around fully owning that mm-hmm. title. Mm-hmm. Cause there's this sense of like, there's a certain set of accomplishments or a certain way to be mm-hmm. and that makes you an entrepreneur so it's so, it's just interesting because I notice I even have resistance and being like yes that's me um but you know I when i when I think back the thing that I noticed in my childhood was a lot of wanting to just create things and create projects like i uh, like I created basically everything for like a skateboard company and i Design the logo and I put all this work into what it would look like and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I would just create like these random projects and things that I saw as far as like visions for like, hey, here's a group that I would want to start or here's a thing that I would want to do. I'm also really lucky in that a lot of my family members own their own businesses. Like my mom's owned an online retail store for the past 15 years. And um, I have my aunts and uncles who have started flower shops and construction companies. So I'm lucky enough to have been around it. So I think not only did I have the the tendency when I was younger, but I also was in an environment where that was normal. So when I told my family, "Hey, I'm leaving this incredibly stable high paying well benefits job at LinkedIn to go do something that I don't even really know what it looks like yet. They were like, thumbs up. Great. <laughs> go get them. But I know that I'm lucky in that regard. And there are a lot of other folks who, if they shared that with, you know, their network or their family or their friends, they'd be like, what are you doing? That's mm-hmm. so irresponsible. Like how, you know, why, why would you go do that? How are you going to make money? You know, how are you going to do whatever it is? Um, and maybe, I don't know if you've, um, uh, come across that. Um, but I, I'm actually a firm believer that people are way more entrepreneurial than they give themselves credit for Mm. um, and that it more so has to do with societal pressures Mm -hmm. and Um, what we believe to be normal or safe or like the best course of action I would assert that a lot of folks who go through college have a very similar mindset Mm -hmm. uh, around what it means to be successful Mm -hmm. like if you go to a business college and you get a business degree probably professional services or consulting is what's considered Mm -hmm. successful so it's interesting now that my community has changed to notice how much more likely I am to share the things that I'm up to and just go out and create things because I know they'll be supported versus before Before, when I had my entire network in corporate, you know, more traditional corporate roles, um, it was scarier to share those
1: Mm. kinds of things. Yeah. I echo all of that because for me, like I never, what you said about calling yourself an entrepreneur, that's something where again, it's like giving credit where it's due, and I didn't think that I could ever carry that label or title either because Mm -hmm. I really saw so much fond appreciation I had for people who would do their own things um, that I never once thought that like I could do that too.
0: It's, it's so funny. I just had to say, it's so funny to hear you say that because that's really surprising to me because you've always Mm. just struck me as somebody who's like, Hey, here's this thing that I want to go do. I'm going to go do it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is exactly, you know, what I would consider an entrepreneur to be. True, true. Um, so that's, that's really funny. Um, one thing that I've noticed too, uh, you know, in this whole theme of um, sharing more of what you're up to and how your network is going to respond and all that kind of stuff is like a big place that that happens is like social media. Mm-hmm. Like I remember really distinctly when I left my full time job, it was like a big thing for mm-hmm. this post that I had about like when I was going to be leaving my corporate mm-hmm. job and um, jumping into entrepreneurship. I like went and set up this whole photo shoot to get a picture specifically for that post because I like wanted it to be this. Oh, I know, you know the photo. Big-
1: <laughs> I know the photo. <laughs> so
0: funny. So like that. like that whole thing, like having it be like this, you know, significant event. And, and it's been interesting to, to see how my relationship with social media has changed, you know, over the past two and a half years, now that I've, you know, been doing my own thing and been a business owner. Um, And so I'm curious for you, especially being involved in politics Mm. and being involved in um, like civic causes, Mm -hmm. like your relationship to Mm -hmm. social media Mm -hmm. and like how you've seen it shift. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So I'm, consider myself lucky, and I would say you are too, that we were raised in the generation of social media where we were also taught social responsibility on social media. So everything from making sure your email is just a simple first and last name at gmail.com to making sure that everything that you put out in social media can be traced back to you. So I always made sure that I was presenting my best face forward on social media and I knew that any time that there was misinformation about me out there, which inevitably happens when you're campaigning, I could rewrite that narrative through my social media. So I Went above and beyond to build a strong social media base and foundation. And honestly, when I ran for my when I ran my first campaign for public office, I tell people that I didn't even run a political campaign. I just ran a marketing campaign, a social media marketing campaign. Because I spent every single dollar I raised in marketing. Um, and now that I'm like looking into running a nonprofit, it's also going to be running a business to some extent. Because even though it's a non for profit organization, like that's what it comes down to. Um, it's again marketing. I think is like such a useful tool and using social media marketing where we didn't have to learn it. We just naturally know the best way to play around different algorithms. We're so lucky. Um, so yeah, I use it to my advantage and I advise other people to do
0: the same. Totally, I've found it really important in, <clears throat> you know, building my own personal brand mm-hmm. and what people know me for. And um, yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly effective marketing tool. And I think it's interesting because especially... Um, I think in the area of personal development, there's this sense of like, if I'm a coach and if I'm trying to teach people how to you know, make money or live the life of their dreams, then I also need to be doing that exact same thing, mm-hmm. which I think can lead like lend itself towards inauthenticity mm-hmm. or people kind of blowing themselves up past what they've actually accomplished. And so even going back to our earlier conversation on authenticity, like how, how do you practice authenticity in social mm-hmm. media?
1: Mm-hmm. I used to have people proofread and edit my captions, and now I don't, because it's like, this is my voice, here's what I would say. Um, I used to spend a lot more time crafting my posts on social media, and now I kind of write a caption, proofread it for grammar, and I'm like, this is good, with a more organic photo. I used to spend a lot of time touching up my photos, making sure they're taken on professional camera. And there's a line between like making sure my social media looks professional, clean and put together. And am I obsessing over a minor detail that doesn't matter? Totally. Mm
0: -hmm. The uh, campaign that you ran as the youngest Muslim woman elected, incredible. The, I think part of what keeps people from getting involved in the political process is Uh, confusion Mm -hmm. and ambiguity. Like, Mm -hmm. what does that actually mean? What's it going to take? So I'm curious too, like when you talk to people who tell you, hey, I might be interested in doing Mm -hmm. that or haven't even considered it before. Like, how do you talk to them about Mm -hmm. running for office? How do you talk to them about that whole process?
1: Yeah. So ignorance is bliss. I did not know what I was getting myself into and I decided to run for public office for the first time. And because I didn't know what I was getting myself into, I was doing things in a very different way. And I wasn't following the three-step formula that I read online later on about how you should run a campaign. And I realized that you, you will only go so far by trying to plug in your numbers into someone else's equation. I would focus on the goal, the journey, the results more than I would on the day-to-day type things. I think it's easy to get bogged down on other people's expectations of what they define success as and how they measure your success. So I kind of stopped listening to what other people had to say or think because there were so many negative voices out there that were louder than the positive ones because I found that I like to affirm people when I see them doing something good, but I realized that's not a natural trait for others to do. People don't just naturally compliment one another, but sometimes they naturally offer advice and/or "quote unquote" feedback, or like, um, "Hey, you could need. To, have you ever thought about doing this differently?" Um, so, yeah. Did I answer the question? <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I,
0: the, I think the the thing that I hear in it is. Um, one just getting started mm-hmm. not thinking about the quote unquote amount of work that mm-hmm. it's going to take because I think that's a big piece that keeps people stopped but be
1: prepared for it yeah. totally yeah mm-hmm.
0: um, you know and uh, understanding that how you approach it is going to be different from how other yes. people approach it yes. and ultimately the feedback that you get might be quote unquote good or bad mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily about the feedback it's about listening to what it, what is it that I want mm-hmm. um, and, and who has my best interest in mind yes. um, in terms of what they're sharing and mm-hmm. the feedback that they're sharing with me
1: and to make it full circle again, people who have good intentions will give you good feedback people who have bad intentions will give you bad feedback. That's <laughs> so
0: interesting. I've noticed too, um, you know, I'm involved in a coach's training program, um, accomplishment coaching. And one of the things that they've created inside of this program is a culture of what I would call always on feedback. So in any conversation, in any situation, in literally any interaction, someone from my team could give me feedback on my leadership, on my speaking, on my coaching, like anything that they see to give me feedback on. And the nice part about it's really uncomfortable at times Mm -hmm. and it took a lot of getting used to but the thing that I'm so grateful for is it takes all the weirdness out of getting feedback Mm -hmm. and the thing that I know to be true is that everyone that's involved in this program has my best intentions in mind Mm -hmm. and and loves me to the core and there's Mm -hmm. nothing that I could really do that would like impact negatively impact my relationship Mm -hmm. with them (laughs) Um, and so it's nice to be in you know an environment where I feel held Mm -hmm. and so all the feedback that I get I can immediately take to heart Mm -hmm. and take a look at like is this accurate you know what do I see in this for myself? Um, versus, I know feedbacks feedbacks a tough thing to get mm-hmm. from a lot of people, um, especially when it's someone that you know you hold as um, higher or more mm-hmm. experienced or whatever it might be.
1: Mm-hmm. I was going to say there it sounds like you're very secure in your relationships, right? Whether it be professional or personal, to know that the feedback that's being given to you, right, there's nothing that you could do that would tick someone off. So to the extent that they'd leave you, and how do you reach that level of
0: security? Yeah, I think it's practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like everything. like everything. You know, like, yeah, like everything. <laughs> it's. I was talking with somebody the other day, and she's another coach, and we were joking that uh, it's it's a practice. Is I say that multiple times a day because it's true about everything and I think even just focusing on that mm, (laughs) takes a lot of the um, performance out of the space because you know everything's a practice Mm -hmm. Um, the other piece too I think is realizing that uh, in any anyone that gives you feedback whatever the intention whatever the content like it's actually never personal mm-hmm. it's never actually about mm-hmm. you it yeah. always has more to do with that person and That's their so beliefs true. and what they're sharing and so the part that i love about that is even if you get feedback that strikes you as like angry or judgmental or cutting or or, that
1: feedback that hurts you hurts you yeah Mm -hmm. exactly Mm -hmm. um
0: it's an opportunity to realize like this actually has nothing to do with me and Mm -hmm. is not at all a reflection of my Mm -hmm. worthiness or value as a person and the cool thing is once you take the interpretation out of it you can actually still try that on for size Mm -hmm. like you can actually still take a Mm -hmm. look and say what's the value in this feedback Mm -hmm. even if it lands with me as you know attacking or it hurts me or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be
1: no, that's golden. You hit the nail on the head. I like the way that you phrased it and boiled it down. I agree. Love
0: it. <laughs> the um, one of the things I was thinking about, you know, when I was kind of prepping for this conversation with you too, is like I think it's so interesting when I'm in conversation with folks who have uh, done a lot and created a lot to take a look at like what challenges got in the way for you. What obstacles have you overcome? Like, what have been the external things mm-hmm. that you've conquered? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a great and super fruitful conversation. And the thing that I get curious about is, like, internally, mm-hmm. like, what are the what are the places where you've realized that you've gotten in your own way the most mm-hmm. and you feel like you've worked past those or, like, developed past those?
1: Mm-hmm. I think... I held myself back by not believing in myself and having this innate sense of confidence that others saw in me. People would look at me and say, you know, you're such a confident, bold, young woman. And I never felt that confidence inside, yet I emulated it. I acted upon it. I pretended like I had it. And I told people I was pretending, but I actually did have it deep down, right? It was... um, the reason I used the word it was illuminating is because it is, is the sense of brightness that people walk with. And I was holding myself back by telling everyone that it's not there when they saw it. Um, and I think that whole image, the aspect of image is something externally I've been held to because I wear a hijab. So people automatically assume, like know my religion. And it's at the forefront of our conversation sometime because you know it's not like a bracelet I can hide under my sleeve or a necklace I can tuck into my shirt. It's um, there. And I feel like sometimes I feel like I address it because I feels like the elephant in the room when in reality, like that's just my own belief. That's like mm. the spotlight effect. Like I feel like people people are looking at me for mm. that reason. But like, I don't know whether that's true or not. Mm. Um, those are some of the thoughts that I get caught up on in my own head. And like, these are conversations that we've all had before you and I specifically, and it's nice to see the way that I tell it has evolved because mm. that's how you can almost tell that maybe I've begun to overcome it.
0: Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. That's cool. The piece that I, it sounds like there's two things in there. One is the actually taking ownership of who you are innately, like the greatness and the incredible qualities that you bring to the table, not trying to disown those or disallow Mm -hmm. those, but instead having those be center stage in how you go out and interact with other people. And then also being super clear on the external appearance Mm -hmm. or the things that you wear Mm -hmm. or how you present yourself, Um, being clear that doesn't have to be the thing that runs the show in a sense Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um or like runs how you show up like Mm -hmm. there's a way to like have it just be a part of the conversation and and not be something to like be like avoided or Mm -hmm. tiptoed around Mm -hmm. in a sense
1: yeah and i tell people that i'm finally beginning to integrate it and make it a part of who i am every day not put it in a box and ignore it anymore so Yeah. yeah how do you do that um i think the way that i speak about it is just a more comfortable thing for me as a whole now too i think before i used to see it as a chore to talk about my identity it's like okay like let's like check this off the list like i'll tell you this stuff now so it doesn't have to come up later and now it's like no i'm really proud of who i am because um i think it's i think it's cool to see the journey that i've been on and like these different experiences that have added layers and elements to myself that otherwise weren't there and that's what growth is and i feel like a really mature fulfilled woman now you know I I turned 22 um, a few weeks ago. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's a thank you. And I just accepted a full-time job offer post-grad. I'll be working at Google full-time. So now these are all the things that I'm like, I feel stability, right? I feel that security that I asked, how you tap into Mm. in your relationships. Like I personally think that it's hard to um, be with anyone else in any capacity if you are unable to be with yourself, right? Mm. And that's something I think you said to me very early on when we met and we got like dinner for the first time. And I didn't even understand the depth of what that meant God, until like so now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like the, um, the depth of the relationships that you have with other people mm-hmm. is directly reflected by the depth of the relationship that you have with yourself. Wow. You just can't go deeper with other people than you've gone with yourself It's it's literally just not possible. And I think it speaks to the impact that that can have, like That's, actually spending time yeah. on you.
1: That blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah Yes, me too.
0: Um, the piece that, that you just shared around identity, I think is mm-hmm. so interesting. I just did, um, um, I've been doing an event series here in Chicago called Elevate, um, which you'll have to come to at some I point. Will. I, know you have, I will, I um, board meetings. Uh, but the, one of the last ones that we did was on identity. Um, that's actually, I'm wearing a t-shirt. That's where it's, oh. where it's from. Um, but we were talking about, uh, how we relate to identity what are the different components of our identity and um, one of the questions that came up that I really loved and that I'd love to ask you is like what have been the parts of your identity that you've had the hardest part owning
1: Mm. I think it's the parts of my identity that I felt like reduced me to just that identity and just that layer I think that's something that I've had a very interesting relationship with over the past few years so my student identity is one like people are would always say, well, she's a college student. Like, you can't trust her to do this. And now it's like, well, I'm a senior in college who graduates in, you know, three months now, right? Do I I still hold on to that student label, that college student label, the way that I embraced when I was 19 and running for public office? Like, some of these words I found every time my identity... Um, You can just tell by the tone that it's used with. So me being a woman, I think, is the the identity that has shaped me the most. And it's the identity that I've come to terms with as an identity that makes my experience inherently different from everyone else's because I'm a woman. And then every other identity that I layer on that, um, it's being a blank woman. It's being a blank, blank woman. But it comes down to the fact that I'm a woman, I would say.
0: Mm. And you'd mentioned too that the and we've talked about this a couple times but this newfound sense of relationship that you have with self as far as being a woman and Mm -hmm. being an adult and i'm curious like what has been sort of the prompting factors of Mm -hmm. getting you to this place Mm -hmm. and like what do you feel is actually different now that you have this stronger relationship with yourself that way
1: like i said earlier embracing it for sure but the the difference in the journey of getting to like I am a woman is like also seeing all all the opportunities and systems there are in place by other amazing women and men and others, people that have advocated for more initiatives and opportunities. So I also know that there are certain, I know that I got all the media attention I did when I ran for public office because I'm a Muslim woman, because people found it all the more impressive that this 19-year-old Muslim college student is doing this while wearing a hijab, but she also wears a lot of makeup. Like, people just didn't understand all of those identities, and it's because I didn't understand them and the way that they mixed. I was like, well, I'm kind of just like this. And I would tell, try to over explain it. And when you start over explaining, that's when you start performing. Mm. Um, and now saying like, yeah, like I'm just like the color of pink. Cause I do. And, um, that's where embracing my identity came in. It's understanding all of the elements to myself. Don't need explanations because I'm enough.
0: Mm. Yeah. You can just be yeah. outside of the stories that you have mm-hmm. about yourself. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, if this question makes sense, like what do you see as next for you in terms mm. of how you identify mm. and how you talk about the person that you are, the political activist that you are?
1: Mm-hmm. I think what's next for me in the next three years, um, looking at it very tangibly, is a lot of um, security, stability and being stagnant and enjoying being stagnant because I have been rising and on the rise, right? So exponentially fast that I literally could not keep up. And I think that's what that burnout experience was like for me. And I want to really embrace the day-to-day being me, being around the people who I've met over the course of these past years and boiling down like my social circle to like the few core people that I care about. Right. Like if the friends circle, the family circle, and then like the acquaintance circle, and I kind of want to stop it at that. Right. I want to take a, I mean, I love networking as is and always will, but I want to take a big break from, um, trying to grow because now it's like I've grown and now I want to enjoy the growth is what mm. I would say
0: taking a breather,
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) just Mm -hmm. enjoying
0: all the things that you've created. Yeah.
1: And, um, in like, I worked for four years in college to get a full time job. I want to enjoy my full time job. I want to learn every day. I want to be the best associate I can be because I want to work my way up physically now, too, right? Mm-hmm. I want to um, be able to say, like, I paid my dues. Like, um, not to say I hadn't before. Like, I'd been speaking for free at events since I was like a freshman and sophomore in high school. Um, but I want to be doing more speaking engagements. I want to be connecting with more people at that level. And I want to finally brand myself as an expert in mm. something. Mm, that's awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: The, um, it's, you know, it's interesting in hearing you talk about uh, slowing down mm-hmm. and being more present because I've found the exact same thing to be true. Like Love working, love achieving, mm-hmm. love creating things. And what I'm coming to realize more and more as of late is that's not nearly as important to me as my moment to moment experience of how happy am I right now? How peaceful am I right now? How far stepped out of these negative and self-flagellating stories am I right now? Mm -hmm. And when I find myself in that place, it becomes this opportunity to stop and slow down and get present and take a breather. Um, And I think as a byproduct, what I've realized is it's, it's actually created a lot more impact in the things that I want to create. It's like by doing less, I'm achieving more Mm -hmm. in a sense, Mm -hmm. which is so counterintuitive. But like when I show up to conversations, when I show up uh, in coaching calls with my clients, when I show up to run workshops, because I'm not overwhelmed, because Mm. I'm not stressed out, and because I'm clear and present and grateful and peaceful, I find that who I can be for people and the value that I can provide for people is so much more. I just feel so much more impactful. Mm-hmm. And so I love that yeah. that piece of it.
1: And I think it's so cool that you've undergone and been on this journey before too, because this is a new thing for me. This is what I've been living my past three weeks of 2020 in. And I'm excited for the journey because it's it's nice. It's really nice to reach a point where you're so pleased with yourself, where you can say like, I'm fine with staying where I am.
0: Yeah. Life's great. Nothing else has to happen. Yes. I'm totally great. The with Arabic how it's gone. word,
1: right, is Alhamdulillah, which I've been saying a lot, which means thank God. <laughs> yes. Well,
0: the, and so even the piece that you just shared around, you know, this was only three weeks ago that mm-hmm. this happened and you're now in a place where it's part of me is like, I get that. And then part of me is like sort of mind blown that you're already here after three weeks after this event Mm. (laughs) happening. So (laughs) like, (laughs) so like, I mean, what do you think has been the thing that's like allowed you to actually make that shift or Mm -hmm. that change so quickly? Yeah.
1: It was a spiritual shift. So it's like, I always had the tools around me of like how to like, here's, here are the scriptures in Arabic, the Quran, right? Here's how to live a peaceful, meaningful life. I just always read it in a language that I couldn't understand, Arabic. I read it, the Quran, in English for the first time, actually, and I learned how to be a more mindful person. Actually, Islam says you have to be respectful of another person's time. So, like, showing up late is not, is disrespecting that. Um, It's disrespecting someone when you're not listening to them and holding them as whole and complete, right? Like, Holding on your own judgments, because I agree what you said earlier. People who pass judgments are projecting themselves. Um, so it it says it all of that. So um, I've had the tools in my toolkit. I just didn't believe that they'd work for me.
0: You open the box. That too. <laughs> to the toolkit. And you're too. like, oh, I have all these wonderful tools now that I can yeah, use. Yeah, <laughs> would be a good fit. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so awesome. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, well, last thing that I wanted to mention. Um, uh, and then I want to talk about was census day because oh, you yes. mentioned that. And I actually don't know a ton about I got it. You. I'll give you, so, you yes. a 30 Please, second. Mm-hmm. Hit me.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Yes. So, um, every 10 years, the federal government does a complete count of everyone in the United States. And this is the first year that the census will be online. And, Um, the immigration question is not on the census. So that's one of the reasons why people in hard-to-count communities involve small children, people from immigrant backgrounds, people who do not primarily speak English as their native language. So since it will be taken online, there is another, perhaps, call it a barrier or call it just a different motto, and it happens every 10 years, and every single person who is not accounted for in the census our state loses out on at least $1,500 worth of federal funding. And we actually lose, can lose, Illinois is at risk of losing um, two to three congressional seats of representation. Because if people are seeing people move out from Illinois, right, because cost of living is super high, um, the census is our way to combat that and ensure that we're advocating for ourselves. So just wanted to plug the census because census day is on April 1st. And I start, we should start talking about it now because it only happens every 10 years. Cool.
0: Well, um, where can people find more information?
1: On census.gov. Honestly, it's that simple. But if you want to learn more about me, you can do, um, my name is Bushra Amiwala and all of my socials and my website are officially at Bushra Amiwala too. um, Because I have two accounts, public and political, but both are public. So
0: (laughs) Um, anything coming up as far as things to look out for, anything that you'd like to Mm. plug?
1: So ABC 7 is doing a cover story on me. So catch that during um, International Women's History Month in March. And um, the documentary that was being filmed about me is officially going to be on PBS. It's called And She Could Be Next. And it's an eight-part documentary series. So one episode is going to be on Rashida Talib, One's going to be on Stacey Abrams. One on Lucy McBeth. And all these really amazing, inspiring, powerful women. And um, one episode is going to be on me. Nice.
0: <laughs> amazing can't wait to see that.
1: Thank you. Um,
0: so one of the last things that I like to close out this show with is, um, asking for a piece of wisdom. So Mm -hmm. what's a piece of wisdom that you have for the people listening, um, that'll help them elevate themselves, their communities and the world.
1: It's be an everyday leader. I think we've made leadership something greater than ourselves when it really isn't. We should be everyday leaders in our social circles, in our spheres of influence, and in our network. And if you do that, that's how you elevate everyone around you and everyone who is lucky enough to have had contact with you.
0: I love that. It's the... um... This idea of like rippling out. Mm-hmm. And when you step forward, you then give other people permission to step forward mm-hmm. and try out things that they hadn't tried yet.
1: Yes. So that's amazing. Awesome. Cool.
0: Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, and then the way that I like to close out the show is with acknowledgement. So, Bushra, are you open to me acknowledging you?
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Bushra. Oh man. Um, thanks for just being such an incredible force of good in the world. Like, it just radiates from you in everything that you do, in the volunteerism that you get involved in, in all of the foundations that you've started and will continue to start in the future. Um, like I just so get that it comes from an incredibly genuine place of care and love and wanting the best for everybody. So like, thanks for, thanks for you for being an everyday leader. Like thanks for also like being such an inspirational figure and showing a lot of people who maybe haven't had representation that like the things that they want to create are possible. And that it's also possible for them to get involved in the larger political system and, um, to make a difference and to make an impact. Um, the, the thing that I'm really present to in this conversation specifically is how much more peaceful you seem. Even, you know, we connected, I think just a couple of weeks Mm ago. Um, and then, you know, obviously everything happened, um, uh, that you'd shared and it makes, you know, obviously the way that it happened is not great. And it makes me really happy that you're having the realizations and the experiences that you're having. um, because, you know, it's ultimately something I, I, I see it in some ways as like an self-love, mm-hmm. like actually giving yourself the experience that you just so generously give to everybody else. Mm. And I think that's incredibly important. Um, thanks for being Radiance. Thanks for being a beacon. Thanks for being super powerful. Thanks for just being a totally rad homie.
1: That means so much. Oh my gosh. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But thank you. Thank you, so thank you for fun. having me. And I see all the hard work that you do. You hustle and there's genuine passion behind every project that you do. So I'm more than happy to be a lifelong Hayden Humphrey supporter. Yeah. So um, and so excited to see everything that you do. So thank you yeah. for allowing me to Absolutely. be this. Yes, I've learned so much me. from you, even in the short convo. Like, this is so cool. Thank you.
0: Thanks for Welcome. being on.
1: Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.